X3 is the first exercise device to deliver force in line with the variable capabilities of human movement. When you train like this, you go to a far greater level of fatigue, which triggers a commensurate level of growth. Go to x3bar.com and learn more about the professional athletes that use X3 exclusively, as well as many before and after transformations this discovery has caused. Enter the code LIFTSMARTER for $50 off at checkout. That's LIFTSMARTER without a space between the two words for $50 off at checkout. Forget frequently asked questions. Common sense. Common knowledge. Or Google. How about advice from a real genius? 95% of people in any profession are good enough to be qualified and licensed. 5% go above and beyond. They become very good at what they do. But only 0.1% are real geniuses. Richard Jacobs has made it his life's mission to find them for you. He hunts down and interviews geniuses in every field. Sleep science, cancer, stem cells, ketogenic diets, and more. Here come the geniuses. This is the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Finding Genius Podcast and the Surviving Hard Times Podcast. I have an attorney on the line. His name is Aaron Dukes. He's an attorney, but he's also a cattle rancher and farmer. So I wanted to talk to him in particular about that, not about the legal work he does, although maybe the two cross over. But uh, welcome, Aaron. Thanks for coming. No, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to be on with you. Yeah, I mean, I guess right off the bat, you're an unusual combination, attorney and rancher and farmer. What, what's your background like? Like, How did you get into both activities? Well, I am a graduate of the University of Florida College of Agriculture and Life Sciences. And during my undergraduate studies, I had some, some classes in the College of Agriculture with Dr. Michael Alexa, who, who also teaches at the law school. He has a expertise in agricultural law and taught a couple classes in, in the undergraduate program that I was in. And so really enjoyed his classes and, and discovered my love for, for studying the law as well. Is the area of law you do uh, an overlap at all with the ranching and farming or is it totally separate? You know, a lot of it, not necessarily, you know, agricultural regulatory law as far as, you know, dealing with the Department of Agriculture or, or Water Management Districts or the Department of Environmental Protection or anything like that. But mostly I'm helping people with asset protection, estate planning, you know, and property stuff. So a lot of the times those aspects overlap with where we're at is a, a rural area. So most of the families that I'm working with, most of my clients are also in the agricultural industry in some way, shape or form. Okay. What kind of work are you doing in terms of ranching and farming? What are your activities? So my activities are really, we're, we're a calf operation in the sense of we raise calves for sale at market. And then we also have, you know, direct consumers that pay us to, you know, provide Angus, you know, grass fed Angus beef for slaughter. And so people pay us for, you know, for, for the, raising the steers for them. So that's that's really the extent of our cattle operation. It's it's actually small scale. We have close to about in between 50 and 75 cows at any one time, you know, depending on what how many we wean off the mothers and take to market and, you know, as far as there's always a variation there. Okay. And so you're raising them for meat. Are you using, you know, what methods are you using the traditional methods to raise them and feed them or are you going organic or you mentioned grass-fed. Is it 
grass finished or grass fed? I mean, what, what are some of the uniqueness of uh, what you're doing? Yeah, most of, it really depends what the client wants in, in terms of how we finish them off. You know, sometimes people want grass finished beef. Sometimes people want, you know, fattened grain finished beef. So uh, we, we kind of tailor it to what our what our client requests from us. A lot of times, you know, as far as our husbandry methods, we're more so holistic in our approach as opposed to, you know, conventional in terms of, you know, we don't worm our, our cows unless they are, you know, unless they're ill. We don't give them antibiotics unless, you know, they're ill. And then we, we try to cull them out of our meat program and we try, we basically would, would sell them at the market. So that's kind of our approach to, you know, our, our, our meat production. But yeah, we, we're mostly, we do what our, what our clients want. So, you know, we do buy a significant amount of grain to finish off some steers if, if, if our client wants grain finished and uh, more marbling in their meat. Mm, okay. And then the farming, what are you doing there? Are you growing vegetables or other kinds of crops? Yeah. I mean, we're really not as much farming as, you know, more so small scale gardening, I guess you would say, as far as, you know, what we try to experiment with. We do, we grow potatoes, we grow sweet potatoes, we grow cucumbers, corn, tomatoes, things like that. But most of that is on a, you know, is to supplement our own, you know, food intake and, and, and what we spend at the grocery store. Not as much, and, and every now and then, you know, obviously you'll pass it on to, to neighbors or, or in my, you know, in my business, I'll pass it on to clients every now and then. And, and a lot of times because of, of where we're at and in the rural communities, people are always, you know, reciprocating that. So, you know, if somebody has a, a bumper stop, uh, you know, a harvest of, of uh, corn, we might get some sweet corn, you know, and we might give them some sweet potatoes that we grew. So a lot of that's more so, a, you know, a way to supplement our grocery bill and or to mitigate our grocery bill rather and a way that we are able to kind of barter with our with our friends and neighbors. You know, we also have some chickens. We have bees, which why, you know, talking about bees, that's why that podcast with Dr. Jamie Ellis was really uh, interesting to me because I had heard of Dr. Ellis before. And, um, and so my father-in-law and I actually just harvested some honey Monday evening. So we enjoy the raising honeybees as well. I wanted to, to shift gears a little bit. So from what I've been hearing and seeing, there's going to be obviously a big problem with uh, food availability, fertilizer, fuel, et cetera, all around the world. I think a lot of people in the U.S. think that, you know, we'll be fine. There'll be no problems. But from your perspective as a rancher and, you know, a grower of various crops, what are you seeing? What are you thinking is, is going to be happening over the next, you know, six months, a year, two years? I think it's going to be very difficult in the next couple of months, especially for people who are already living paycheck as we see, you know, gas prices, you know, fluctuate, but mostly all indicators show that, you know, they're going to be going back up again soon. You know, obviously the fertilizer, it, just a personal anecdote with fertilizer for our hay production for our cows, we were, you know, we fertilized a the same amount of acreage this year, but with half of the amount of fertilizer, and it cost us twice as much as it did last year to fertilize the entire, you know, acreage that we were that we were fertilizing for hay production. So, you know, we we cut back on 
on our usage and it still cost us twice as much. So, I mean, that's just, you know, one particular example in terms of fertilizer, which, you know, obviously the, you know, the, the conflict over in, in Ukraine doesn't help any of that. But also, you know, there have been many farmers I've talked and friends that I know who have foregone planting this year. And usually they would be, they would be growing things like corn. They would be growing things like, you know, uh, tobacco or, you know, other cash crops, what we would consider cash crops in, in the state of Florida and not doing so, you know, it's, and also with, with hay production as well, which if you don't have the hay, you can't feed the livestock through the winter months. So you know, it, it is something that is, that I think is going to be creeping up on us and, and perhaps not so much us in the rural areas as, as much as people in the urban areas, which, you know, just depending on where you are, I hear different, you know, stories every every week, it seems like, of, you know, product unavailability or certain food that's unavailable, packaged food, what whatever it is. So I think it's going to be difficult for people to, to make ends meet, especially if they're living paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. So do you think that food will just be more expensive or do you think it will literally be unavailable, certain kinds of foods or for periods of time? When you exercise with greater force, you trigger greater gains. Shown in 16 out of 16 studies, variable resistance grows muscle faster than weights alone. Go to x3bar.com and learn more about the professional athletes that use X3 exclusively, as well as many before and after transformations this discovery has caused. Enter the code LIFT SMARTER for $50 off at checkout. That's LIFT SMARTER without a space between the two words for $50 off at checkout. Thank you. Well, and I guess that depends on. Well, obviously, we have, you know, a substantial amount of currency that was injected into our monetary supply circulation. So, obviously, that can have an effect on the purchasing power of the dollar, but also the external factors that we aren't in control of as far as, you know, we hear talks of Russia, China, and Saudi Arabia perhaps trading oil in a different currency, whether it's, you know, in, in the Chinese yuan or whatever, whatever uh particular currency, the Russian ruble, whatever it is. So obviously that could have an effect on our purchasing power. But I, I think there's also going to be a effect on our actual supply of food because, I mean, you also have to factor in, we are not so much dealing with a drought now where I am in, in North Florida. We've actually had, um, we've been blessed with a significant amount of rain the last couple of weeks. Uh, but from the beginning of May to the end of June, we were in a real, we were in a, a drought. And actually we lost, we lost a couple of cows because of malnourishment because they weren't getting enough, the, you know, minerals and protein and, and the nutrition and the just foraging. And we were actually caught off guard by that because we were supplementing with hay and nobody had any hay around here because, you know, obviously we used up most of our winter supplies. The first hay cutting was late June for us here, and usually, um, you know, there there are some some diff there are some hay farmers who grow uh, coastal Bermuda or, or different types of of hay, and and they usually have an earlier cutting in the beginning part of June, and it it was a couple weeks after that. So you know that can definitely affect our ability to to feed our livestock in the winter and especially if now we're trying to ship that and and not as much our operation our cattle operation because we don't really produce hay on that large scale but um there are hay farmers around here who are 
shipping their hay to Texas because Texas is in a historical drought and all the way to the West Coast in California with Lake Mead and the Great Salt Lake, you know, uh, reaching historical lows uh, with the water level. I mean, this is a this is a a perfect storm in terms of all the various conditions that we have coming together. Um, And I, I don't think many Americans are prepared for that because most Americans have been conditioned to be able to go to the grocery store and get what they want and not have to supplement that mm. by having their own greenhouse or, you know, having their own garden. And so that's really what I what I worry about is, you know, and I try to encourage everybody I know if they can, if they're on a half acre or an acre, you know, even if they're in a, a condo, they can grow some microgreens in the window or something, you know, so just something to kind of right, try yeah. to mitigate so- your grocery bill and, and have a little bit of something. Yeah, and some good nutrition too with microgreens. Yeah, hopefully, so yeah. Um, do you employ any regenerative agriculture techniques? Like, do you impound rainwater? Is there a way for you to reduce your dependence on fertilizer? You know, composting, so, etc. Are you able to do any of those things? So we definitely have started trying to implement, you know, some of the regenerative techniques that Joel Saladin really highlights with the chicken tractors and. And things like that. It's easier said than done when you have a full-time job doing, you know, doing stuff that's, you know, when your farming operation is more of a side hustle, uh, like mine is. Right. So I mean, it it is something that that we always work for, right? To to try to be more, you know, uh, regenerative and and to try to conserve as much as we can. And you know, drip irrigation is a big big thing, you know, with our with our gardens that we try to implement. But sometimes, you know, just honestly, it's not the most financially feasible, you know, means to do so, you know, so that that's, you know, as far as time consuming as well. So it's, it's definitely something we try to implement as best we can, but it's it's not something I can say we, we do, you know, wholeheartedly like we should. And we probably should be a little bit better about it. But and, and you know, with current market trends. It may be something that that just out of pure dependence we have to to start doing to become more you know food independent in terms of in terms of shutting off our computer at one o'clock instead of five thirty or five o'clock to meet a couple more clients instead go out and actually tend to our garden a little bit better you know or mm. or um or to try to you know move some cows from one pasture to another pasture to try to to encourage you know, the pasture management that we need, that we need to be doing. So that is definitely yeah. something we, we try to incorporate as best we can, but I'm not going to say that we're the best about implementing it. Is it, have you tried it? Like, is it hard to do? Is it just a time issue or? It, it's it more of a time consuming. Yeah. It's not necessarily, I wouldn't say it's more difficult. I would say it's more time consuming and you you have to be more hands-on, right? In terms of, of setting up, for example, electric fence and moving the herd on paddocks, you know, you have to be pretty diligent and making sure you're you're consistent with that. And and I think that's the issue is, you know, I'm my father, my brother and myself working our cattle operation and between the three of us, you know, my dad has a full-time job, my brother has two jobs and then I have a full-time job as well. You know, so that that's kind of our big issue is is, is basically time management. We probably you know, could be better about that with with implementing regenerative practices. And if we wanted to dedicate more time to our actual farming operation, that may be, you know, 
we would do that. But right now we have the close to, and I'm trying to think, we probably have close to 120 acres that our cows forage right now. So it's it's really, for for us, more of a, you know, we're just letting them forage because we, we know that there should be food for them on that amount of acreage based on the amount of cows have. And so that's basically the, you know, the, the conventional old school method of, you know, cattle management, of herd management. And we should probably be a little bit better about that with moving them from, from different paddocks because we have, you know, about, I don't know, maybe 50 acres that we cut hay on, you know, and with that, we're putting fertilizer out and we're really dependent on, we don't irrigate it. We, we're really dependent on the rainfall to generate the, the amount of rain that we need or to the amount of water we need to grow the, the grass so that we can cut it. So, you know, we're not necessarily implementing the best regenerative practices on, on that aspect in terms of our, our pasture management. But, you know, we have taken steps to try to, to make our, our pastures drought resistant, but that's easier said than done as well. So, you know, mm. they're just different. There's all, all different types of te- techniques that we're always experimenting with to, to try to, to better our operation. Before we get started, I have a quick favor. I've been self-funding the Finding Genius podcast for five years now. I've done over 3,000 episodes. And as you can see on YouTube, we're up over a million views on the channel, which is fantastic. The next thing I really want to push on is to get up to 10,000 subscribers. Because once we do, we'll be able to put a donate button and uh, we'll be able to solicit donations uh, to help keep the podcast running and to also get the Finding Genius Foundation moving along. We have a big project studying anxiety, depression, and PTSD and working on a product to help people overcome these problems uh, because I've seen them explode recently after the, uh, you know, the last two years of the whole virus situation. So if you would, please subscribe to the podcast. That would help us tremendously. Give us a thumbs up and check in the description for Buy Me a Coffee. It's about five bucks. If you could buy me a coffee, I'd really appreciate it. It would help keep the channel going. And I love coffee. Thank you. Well, that makes that makes a lot of sense. Any other mitigation strategies that you're finding will be important going forward? Really, soil conservation. I mean, that's that's another big thing. You mm-hmm. know, as as far as we have freshwater source where our cows can go to. You know, basically, it's a it basically it's a pond in the middle of our acreage. They go, and and our biggest thing is planning and making sure that the area around that pond isn't being eroded away and that's a big aspect in terms of if i mean especially if you look at right now what's happening in california especially a lot of fertile soil because of the drought has been basically turned to dust and it's just it's just eroding away you know and basically you know similar thing happened in oklahoma during the 1930s in the great depression the dust bowl era you know so and that is a big thing with we have tree lines pretty much planted around all of our, necessarily planted, but around all of our just naturally, natural hardwoods that, that grew up around where our, our hay fields are. And in the event that we do have a substantial drought, those trees are there to serve as windbreaks to try to mitigate, you know, soil erosion. And um, and that's a big deal as far as, as pasture management, making sure you have healthy soil. So, you know, what do you do if, again, I don't know, I'm not a farmer, but it just seems like uh, retaining water as best you can, no matter if you're in a place that has a lot of rain or not, is really the keystone thing to do. 
because once you have water, at least you have a hope of, uh, you know, of getting the other inputs you need or growing them. Right. Right. Well, and, and fortunately for us, we have, and, and one thing that has been a challenge and one thing the university of Florida has really spearheaded over the last, you know, 15 years or so, especially has been aquifer, Florida aquifer conservation and aquifer recharge. And so we have, the University of Florida, that is, has done a really good job recycling water, wastewater, and, you know, treating it and, and doing such a good job of cleaning it and making it potable water and then directly injecting it back into the aquifer at aquifer recharge points in certain wetlands throughout the state. And so, hmm. you know, with the amount of people that have been moving into Florida, you know, we've seen in in South Florida, especially, the growth has been so overwhelming down there that in certain parts of South Florida, there has been saltwater intrusion into the aquifer. And so uh, geology, or uh, topography rather, is lime rock and mostly porous caverns where this, you know, the aquifer has been either depleted or it has been, it has been completely just taken over with salt water because of the proximity to the to the coastline. So that's a challenge that, that we're seeing in Florida. And what most people don't know is that, you know, in, in terms of production agriculture, Florida is, I believe, at one time we were, I know when I was at the University of Florida 10 years ago, we were fourth in the nation in beef production. I think we've dropped down to 10th in the nation in beef production. But a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, a substantial amount of Cattle ranches in especially the southern part of the state have been turned into developments and are no longer in operation. And with that comes a, an increased draw on your on your water supply when people are either putting their own well in their yard or either you know tapping into the municipal water supply. It really has an effect on our aquifer, and so that is a big issue that that we're facing here. And most people don't realize it. Because you know, we we a lot of times we think of Florida as sunshine and hurricanes, you know. <laughs> so yeah. is it, you know, and, and a lot of times, and, and we've been fortunate in terms of our hurricanes because you know what put, most people don't realize is we need that hurricane every now and then to come and drop a deluge of rain on us so that we can re, recharge our our, sw- our swampland and our wetlands, and 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 that is where the water filters down into the aquifer. And obviously that takes, you know, thousands of years, but if it's, if it's naturally occurring, but with uh, the aquifer recharge project that the University of Florida has been engaged in, we've seen some success. So, and then also, you know, Florida has some advantages as far as, you know, with desalination plants, just because of our proximity to obviously, and the amount of the, the coastline that we have. So hopefully more of these municipalities will adopt better practices in terms of, of sustainable growth and development. And they will, you know, also invest in, in uh, desalination facilities as well. But yeah, you know, rain, rain is, uh, rainwater is, is something we get a lot of luckily for us. Um, and then, you know, we also have, like I said, we have a, we have a, a pond on our property and we also, we do have rain barrels, but most of those are, are you know we have troughs throughout the acreage for the cows to to drink water depending on where they are as well so well how much how much water are you catching from rain barrels 
your systems a lot or just uh, a little? No, not, not much at all, actually. Um, it really takes, and, and really, you know, if we were serious about, and again, that basically managing our time better, but with rain, you know, capture systems, you know, the best way to really do that is, is with rooftop, you know, capture, I guess is what, I don't know what you'd call that, but with, you know, having a good gutter system and then, you know, right. going directly into your rain barrels. And we really just, we don't have that. Perhaps that's something we need to, to do a little bit better of as far as for our backyard gardening to uh, conserve water. And which, you know, I, like I said, I think we do a, a pretty good job of managing what we do get, but it's minuscule compared to what we're actually using. What is the, uh, you know, the USDA and uh, the government of Florida and all these organizations that, you know, may or may not be focused on agriculture and food sustainability, et cetera, are they, what are they saying? Are they doing anything or are they quiet on all these issues going on? What do you see? I don't really know. I, I mean, that's a good question. Mm. Uh, I haven't seen much. A lot of the times what I do see from the federal government is bad because, you know, that turns into it's always under the auspices of, of something that is to benefit the consumer. You know, like the Food Safety and Modernization Act of 2012. I mean, there were a lot of things in that piece of legislation that the, you know, Obama administration at the time was was pushing as, you know, this is going to keep consumers safe, different outbreaks of, you know, salmonella, E. coli, whatever it was, by tracking every piece of produce from farm to fork, basically. And, and you know, that while that is a, a good goal to have, it really is costly in the implementation aspect uh, for, for a lot of these farmers. And so most of the time when I see some piece of legislation or, you know, a regulatory agency getting involved in something, I see it as more of a hindrance to the producer than a benefit to the consumer. And, you know, mm. I, and again, I, get, I think that goes back to, you know, we in this country have become so accustomed to just going to the grocery store and getting a, a, you know, grabbing whatever piece of produce looks, you know, appealing to us without the thought of where does this come from and, you know, what does it take to actually get this piece of produce from the, the ground or the tree to my plate, you know. And so really it's, there's a lot of educational organizations that have done a real good job of trying to encourage guerrilla gardening in urban areas and to really try to connect people back with the land and back with, you know, sustainable agriculture practices that, you know, Native Americans were using for, for thousands of years before, you know, Europeans came along. And so, you know, that's that's one thing that especially the um, the National FFA organization, uh, formerly the Future Farmers of America, was really trying to push when, when I was in school, was trying to encourage urban areas to, to really get involved in, you know, what they call guerrilla gardening and hmm. rooftop gardening, especially when you're in, you know, a high-rise condominium or some kind of apartment building, you know, try to encourage the landlord to allow the tenants to, if, if it's a, you know, a, a leased uh, space, to allow tenants to have gardens on the rooftops. Guerrilla gardening is more so just, you know, finding a property owner in a certain part of an urban area and having them allow you to, you know, plant a row of crops in their front yard or in their 
in the mm. city maintained right of way, you know, so, and obviously that requires the cooperation of the municipality and, and the property owners of that particular location. But that's a really good way that we can try to get people in, especially in urban areas, to at least supplement their, you know, grocery purchases by having a little bit of something in there available to them that they can grow themselves. Or, you know, and then also the container gardening is, is really big and hot on YouTube now. You know, you can go on YouTube yeah, and you can watch anybody plant anything in a container. It's great. One of those, you know, five gallon tubs or something. Great. Mm. So, so I think um, those types of things are what we're going to need to do more of. Okay. Any advice you'd have for someone that's, uh, you know, a city slicker and has never done any of this stuff before? And you know, they're not going to like go crazy and do tons of stuff, but they, they they can do a little something for themselves. So, what would you suggest to people that, again, they just want to do something rather than nothing, but it's something like easy to do, nothing crazy that would take up tons of time or effort? Yeah. Something easy to do. You know, sweet potatoes are really easy. And sweet potatoes and potatoes, you know, and whether you're talking about russet or red potatoes or Yukon gold, whatever variety, they're really easy to do in containers. And and you really get the, I mean, it's really easy to do in containers, especially because you mitigate the possibility of pests coming in to those containers. And they don't require a lot of water. And they're, they're something that you can basically set and forget. Now, I'm not saying you don't have to, you know, monitor it and make sure that you don't have, uh, you know, certain kind of either ants or, or certain worms or things like that. But that's a real easy type of, of food that you can grow for yourself. It's, it's nutritionally dense and it's easy to reproduce. So, you know, you can get, and I've, I've heard estimate that you can get 100 pounds of sweet potatoes off of one sweet potato from growing the sweet potato slips. And so mm. that is something that if, you, if you're really wanting to do something and to, to try something out for yourself, I think that, you know, sweet potato or, or red potatoes, russet, Yukon gold, anything like that is, is something, like I said, you can grow in a potato in, in a container and it is nutritionally dense. So I think that people, a lot of times people have the misconception that it's, it's really easy to do that, but it's really difficult to grow something and, and to make sure that, you know, throughout the process that, you know, you're not giving it too much water or that, you know, you're making sure that ants aren't getting on it. Like the last, the last crop of potatoes I picked, I harvest every potato, but like one was eat up with ants, you know? And so before that, and I mm -hmm. think that was, that had to do with how late in the season I planted it. But before that, the, the, the crop I harvested was was perfect. I mean, it was great. So, you know, it just depends. Uh, it, everything and those when you're growing it directly in the ground, there are pests that you don't see, especially if you if you're not doing fumigation. Like, you know, I was not doing any fumigation. I was just planting it as organic as you could and using cow manure for fertilizer. You know, so and obviously that introduces you know pathogens that we can't see all the time if you're if you're using manure. That's the one you know adverse effect of using manure sometimes but but yeah i mean that would be the one thing i would do and learn and really get good at and you could you could feed a lot of people with with some potatoes and sweet potatoes mm. okay well very good aaron what people to learn more about how they can they get dip their toe in 
or if they're already doing some kind of farming, you know, any referrals or references you think to uh, help them up their game? Well, you know, the Finding Genius podcast with Joel Salatin was a good one. He's sharp. I've followed him for a long time. You know, Joel Salatin has some of the most ingenuitive methods, innovative, and the ingenuity that he he shows is just, it's amazing. He's a great resource, I would say. And I've, I've learned a lot from watching and listening to that guy, you know, the past couple of years. You know, and then obviously the extension agencies that the land grant institutions throughout this country have, we really have to use our extension agents a whole lot more than we do, especially if you're somebody that's trying to learn a new agricultural, you know, enterprise or or if you're trying to get into a different area of of production that you might not have done before. That was the one thing with getting into honeybees for us was leaning on our extension agent as much as we could. They are people who know a whole lot about many different areas. So in many different, you know, niche markets of, of production agriculture. So I would say whatever, you know, state you're in, if you have a land grant institution, which every state does, find out your, who your extension agent is, and they are always a good, helpful resource. Okay, very good. Aaron, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really appreciate it. No, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me. I'm a, I appreciate it. Remember, before you go, X3 is the device that will give you the body you want, one that your partner and your kids will admire you like you're a superhero. Go to x3bar.com and learn more about the professional athletes that use X3 exclusively as well as many before and after transformations this discovery has caused. Enter the code LIFTSMARTER for $50 off at checkout. That's LIFTSMARTER without a space between the two words for $50 off at checkout. Thank you. If you like this podcast, please click the link in the description to subscribe and review us on iTunes. You've been listening to the Finding Genius Podcast with Richard Jacobs. If you like what you hear, be sure to review and subscribe to the Finding Genius Podcast on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And want to be smarter than everybody else? Become a premium member at FindingGeniusPodcast.com. This podcast is for information only. No advice of any kind is being given. Any action you take or don't take as a result of listening is your sole responsibility. Consult professionals when advice is needed.